Hey, security peeps, we are live with another edition of Breaking into Cybersecurity, and it is CISO Thursdays, and two of us <laughs> are back <laughs> again, finally. Um, I'm Renee Small, cybersecurity super recruiter, helping awesome leaders hire great talent, and I am here with two amazing people. First, my co-host, co-author, and all other kinds of stuff, Chris Folone. <laughs> Howdy, howdy. Uh, just happy to be here and finally to have, ha have Renee back on the I show know. with her fancy hair. Right? It's been forever. It has been forever. So, uh, Chris, you want to introduce Matt, co-host, co-author? Well, I guess we didn't co-author with him, but author in our <laughs> little circle. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, Matt Stam Stamper comes, Stamper comes from a, a really... Uh, amazing background, CISO, author, um, just recently released a privacy book, um, which that's becoming something so big today. Um, so Matt, uh, over to you. Uh, thank you guys. And, and Renee and Chris, it's just great to be with you and, and really appreciate and value the work that you did in terms of getting into cyber and the career. Uh, the uh, privacy book will actually be out probably in late July-ish. We've got a, a working copy of it that uh, is, is in the works. We're going through final edits and all the joys, as you guys have witnessed, of getting a book across the finish line. So it's close, but it's going to be a, uh, a really interesting book, similar to the CISO Desk Reference Guide. We did it with uh, multiple authors. So it's myself, Justine Phillips, and David Goodman. And we each kind of bring a unique perspective to a variety of uh, privacy topics. So thrilled to be here today with you guys. Super excited to have you on. Um, and for everyone that doesn't know, Matt is all. So Matt has co-authored a number of books. Matt, talk to a little bit about like some of the other books. I know this is the upcoming one, but... Mm -hmm. Chris Folon and I and Gary Hayslip were a part of the, the the book that we did together, but it's all kind of like this under the same umbrella of um, publishing, so to speak, of books. So Matt, talk about some of the, you know, just share with the audience um, some of the other books. And while you're doing that, I want everyone that's here to share where you are checking in from. Um, viewing us live from, we want to know where you are in the world today. So go ahead, Matt. Uh, absolutely. So Gary Hayslip, Bill Bonney, and I wrote uh, actually three books now collectively, the CISO Desk Reference Guide, Volume 1, uh, Volume 2. They do treat, so there's 18 chapters, so they, they address a variety of different topics. And then we did a primer that we just released, and that is a very different type of book than the CISO Desk Reference Guide, kind of volume one and volume two, in that the audience, instead of aspiring CISOs and current CISOs thinking through their security programs, the primer that was just recently uh, uh, published addresses issues related to the board of directors, our friends and colleagues across the C-suite. So who are some of the CISOs peers, some of the reporting relationships so that they understand some of the dynamics of building, operating, managing, and running uh, security programs aligned to the business. And we're really excited about that because it's a, effectively a new audience for us. Boards of directors, CIOs, CTOs, CFOs, CEOs, and the like. But we're really thrilled to be doing that. And then we have a lot more that is coming out in kind of the practitioner 
uh, series, which are things related to privacy. We'll, we'll likely have a book out on vendor risk management sometime in 2023, which I think is, is the underbelly. Uh, quite frankly, in most security programs, vendor management is not for the weak of heart. It is complicated. Uh, we don't do it terribly well. And when you add in supply chain risk, it just gets more complicated. So we're going to try to tackle that uh, similar to what we did with the CISO desk reference guide with a number of individuals that have had various vendor management roles in one form or another kind of tackle that. So we're really looking forward to it. And then we obviously have our small business um, kind of small business type series of books. So individuals that run and operate their own uh, organizations, how they should think about security, a series of really important essays by Gary Hayslip around small business security and building your program to something by Alan Watkins that was really defined around how organizations should put together a security program that's tailored to that organization size and complexity. But it's a fun, we enjoy it. We love the community and, and giving back and being able to collaborate and work with authors like you. So this has been fantastic. Wow, I, I, I would just add probably mergers and acquisitions becomes the, the, the next underbelly um, along with vendor risk management. But uh, before we get too far in and Renee starts to, uh, give shout outs for everyone that that's commenting. Don't forget to follow all of us on LinkedIn. So we included uh, links for Matt Stamper in the description. Uh, if not, we'll publish it as well. And follow myself, follow Renee. If you're following us live on YouTube, don't forget to hit that subscribe button and then the notification button. That way we come up next time that we're on live. And if you're following us on podcast, don't forget to share us with all your friends and family and give us a, a 10 rating wherever possible. Um, if not, we'll, we'll, we'll deal with a five. Um. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I'm going to shout people out while we're keeping this thing going. Uh, Professor Roger White says CISO desk reference series is awesome. So, Roger, I owe you money. <laughs> that was not a plant. <laughs> and we did not pay him to say that. <laughs> yeah, oh, so I'm going to shout some people out. Um, Joseph Drayton says, good afternoon. Fortune Shaba says, hello. Roy Keck is, hope everyone's ha having a great day. We are. Um, Professor Roger White again. Good afternoon. Team Awesome. Paul Cummings. Yay. Hey, Paul Cummings. Um Kelvin says, good night, everyone. So Kelvin, where are you? He said, good night. Um, <laughs> Joseph said, man, do I have some questions for, for us? So he has questions for us today. Joseph, get, throw them in there. Start sending them, <laughs> start putting them in the chat right away. Um, yes, I am back. I, I was out. <laughs> Professor Roger White says, Renee is back. Yes. It's been a hectic few weeks, but I am back. It's super excited to be back here in my favorite place on Thursdays at 1 p.m. for sure. Stephen Upshaw is still here checking in from San Diego. Hey, Stephen. Go San Diego. I'm a, I'm a native <laughs> San Diegan. So. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. I love San Diego. Um Chris Pratt, top of the day, everyone. Professor Roger White is actually here from Atlanta, from New York City. Uh, Fortune is here from Atlanta. Paul is always here from Jackson, Jacksonville, Florida. Jacksonville, Jacksonville Florida. Florida. Um, <laughs> let's see. Somebody's here from Texas, but it says LinkedIn user. I don't know who that is. Uh, 
No, James is there I think from it's Florida. No yeah, Joseph's from South Carolina. Oh, we got some people from all over the place. Um, Laquette or Laquay, Tampa, Tampa, Florida. Awesome. <laughs> Professor Roger White said his cash app is in the chat. <laughs> we we did not pay him for the plug. <laughs> James McQuiggan is here. Hey, we got a whole other James. The other James, right. We should have you. You should be up here on camera. Um, Jess says, hey, all. Uh, David, all these people. David, how are you feeling? I know he had gotten, he was sick. Checking in from Kentucky. Hoping everyone is doing well. We're hoping you're doing well. Great state of Kentucky. Love it. James says, the man, the myth, the legend, Matt Stamper, always a pleasure to see you again. I agree. I was just saying to Matt, like, I've seen, we've emailed, I've seen him, but I've never actually seen the human in person <laughs> on, on a screen like this. So I'm kind of mesmerized myself. Um, and oh, then, from Ireland. Yeah, Priya Singh. So Priya, oh, wow, Kelvin's from Nairobi, Kenya. Wow. This is really cool. All around the world. All around the world. Olu B is from Dallas, Texas. Um, first question from Jacqueline. I just received my certification in OSINT and I'm graduating with a master's in cybersecurity in two weeks. I currently work as a librarian. How can I get a job in OSINT? Oh my God, this is like the perfect question. You know, I mean, first and foremost, thank you for being a librarian. My mom uh, has a master's in library science. She's retired, obviously. Um, but props to all the librarians that are out there. I mean, I, I think to me, one of the great joys in the world is going into a library and, and finding good books and reading them. If, if you're an OSINT, what a great place to be. I mean, it's it's got so many different areas that come into play, social media, um, you know, my wife is is somebody that does help with uh, women that are victims of domestic violence. OSINT uh, is a double-edged sword. <laughs> so you have individuals that will use it to do nefarious things. You've got individuals that use it to help uh, uh, help them out. My, my assumption is that you've read Michael Bazell's book on uh, OSINT, uh, as well as his book on extreme privacy. It's, it's 500 pages long. So it it's kind of a, an indication of what it takes to have privacy these days. If you have to read a 500 page book to figure out how to remove kind of all that digital detritus that we leave behind in us. But OSINT, I think, is one of the great areas. So and I would say that a, a job in OSINT, uh, take a look at, at threat intelligence roles. Yeah. Take a look at um, marketing roles, sales roles, because if you're using OSINT, you can use it for a whole bunch of different things. It really just depends where your passion is. If your passion is really OSINT, um, that could be used in a variety of different fields. But um, check out threat intelligence. Um, check out uh, incident response. Yep. Uh, and those types of roles because they use a lot of OSINT in it. And what I love about that particular area or discipline it's only limited by your creativity and yep. your imagination. I mean, the sources are, are almost infinite in terms of how you use it. But I, I love that. I love seeing emphasis on open source intelligence techniques in, in our community. Yeah. And there's a, quite a few comments in the chat. Um, Professor Roger Weiss is the librarian, probably makes the best OSINT. Here, here. Um, Tracy May Leaf. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yes. That's. I was just thinking, like, who's our librarian? Tracy. You need to connect with Tracy May Leaf immediately. 
Uh, Paul says, OSINT threat researchers, cyber marketing, trafficking persons, APT research, so many more. Yep. So federal Jacqueline McMahon. I'm sorry, would you say, Matt? Oh, federal law enforcement. I mean, they think about the Bureau and, and other places yes. that are really desperate to, to onboard high quality staff in certain areas. OSINT is right down the middle of the fairway. Absolutely. Absolutely. Great comments, everybody. Leslie Porter is here from Virginia, our state. Hey, Leslie. All right. Next question. Um, Joseph Drayton, what advice would you give to someone who is in an associate's program for cybersecurity with only an MTA security cert with six months of help desk experience who is trying to get into cybersecurity? That's a layup for you, Chris. I, I would say <laughs> that's um, your background. <laughs> the MTA cert sounds like it might be a Microsoft cert. Um, not sure, but I, I'd say keep on with that help desk role um, while you while you find that potentially cyber role. Remember, cyber is a broad field, um, a variety of different roles in it. So use that help desk experience to figure out if you want to go into uh, programming, if you want to go into infrastructure, if you want to go into cloud, if you want to go into front-end experience, figure out, but use a help desk to, to gain as much experience as you can, working with those users, understanding how to work with the, the business, is a critical skill that, frankly, the help desk gives you the best opportunity in many other fields to be able to do that and take advantage of that. Matt, you have anything else to add? Yeah, I would share that. I, I think, you know, when you look at like IT service management, ITIL, those types of disciplines and, and the really critical role of the help desk it is the first line of defense in many cases. You're, you're dealing with users, you're helping them to do triage, really take advantage of that role, learn as much as you can around user administration, how users perceive risk. Uh, to, to James's point earlier, we had done some work on creating a new certification around security awareness. Um, that help desk role is really foundational to it. So I think you're in a great pivot place Soak it up as much as you can and, and then be very, I think one of the things that we can all do in our careers is be very structured about what you want to learn. I want to learn a little bit about identity and access management and credentials and entitlements, or I want to learn a little bit about device hardening and, and other things. So be very uh, structured in what you want to learn over the course of the next 30 days, the next 90 days, the next 180 days. And you'll be in a great position to use that as a launching pad. Cool. So, so Matt, as you think about where privacy is going and how important it is, what are some of the, the career opportunities in privacy and how can individuals that already are in a role can, can learn about privacy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think what's what's fascinating to me is is privacy and security are fundamentally very distinct disciplines and domains, but they overlap a lot. I, I think one of the areas that they overlap that is critical for our profession and security, as well as for our friends and colleagues that are on the privacy side of things, is around data classification, data discovery. Uh, depending on what a data element is, how it should be protected, whether it should be pseudonymized. Uh, tokenized, encrypted, whatever the case may be, 
it's going to be predicated on the attributes associated with that particular data element. And so the, the privacy leader and the CISO or other members of the security team, they have that kind of common language around, oh, this is protected health information, or this is sensitive personal information, or this is personal data, and it requires a certain level of treatment. One of the things that I always advocate um, is just the use of basic data flow diagrams. Understand how information comes into the organization, how it's used internally, what are the applications, business processes, data syncs, users, et cetera, that, that support it, and where that information may be shared with other third parties. And each one of those kind of proverbial lines is effectively a trust boundary where you need to validate the data, understand how it's being used, how it's governed, how it's controlled, where it's stored, how long you store it for. So I think there's a lot of great things on the technical side of privacy that end up hitting infrastructure and operations and security, as well as kind of the broader kind of governance side, you know, reading the GDPR, becoming familiar with regulations such as we have here in California with the CCPA, which will be the CPRA in, in 2023. I, I think there's just a lot of really interesting areas to delve into in privacy that have enterprise architecture and security architecture implications. I, I would also add like incident response to that because yes. uh, your different privacy frameworks all have different incident response times that you need to be aware of as, as well as notification laws based on the states or based on the higher privacy frameworks to consider. Exactly. Article 33 of the uh, GDPR, you've got 72 hours to notify the, uh, uh, the DPA, the Data Protection Authority, uh, in how that's handled. Here in the U.S., we have kind of this amalgam of all sorts of different state breach response and uh, breach response laws, and they vary. If the data is encrypted, there may be safe harbor provisions. If uh, federal law enforcement is involved, you may not have to abide by the particular disclosure deadline because the federal uh, law enforcement, be it the FBI or a fusion center, are doing their investigation. So there's lots of areas where those overlap. Completely agree. Awesome. Um, okay, next up is Laquay. I think it's pronounced Laquay. So Laquay, so you all may want all collectively that are on this in the chat <laughs> may want to reach out to Laquay because she is at GDIT. Um, and she is actively looking for security engineers, security control assessors, ESOs, ISSMSs to work in the Dulles, Virginia corridor area. Must hold an active poly clearance. Well, there's so, a magical unicorn. Right. <laughs> so, if any of you have any of that, reach out to LaQuay. <laughs> LaQuay, I hope I'm pronouncing your name right. And if you don't, it gives you an indication of the types of jobs that are being requested. And, and a lot of this with respect to federal environments began with NIST 800-171, Controlled Unclassified Information. One of the things I always recommend, if you're interested in these areas, go out and read the definitive source, the document of record. If you're interested in privacy, read the GDPR. If you're interested in some of the things related to the Cybersecurity Maturity Model Certification, Read NIST 800-171 and the, the assessment guidance that NIST provides. It will help these careers become just very matter of fact, I think. Yes. I he said gingerly. I think that's a fantastic <laughs> idea for folks, for sure. 
Um, Jacqueline thanks us for the feedback that you gave earlier. Um, Fortune says, I'm really confused on what these recruiters, so Laquay, that's you and me, <laughs> want, any more, want anymore. I listen to this podcast religiously, and I just received my 108th rejection. What would you do if you've done everything right, but you're not given a chance to interview? Um, Fortune, I think that if you've been listening to us religiously, that means that hopefully you have a robust social media um, presence and that you are networking and connecting with people on social media and that you're joining the different groups and you're interacting online. Uh, when I say online, you're interacting with them, um, interacting with folks. And I, I don't I don't know exactly where you are um, having the challenge. So what I typically tell people is this. If you're submit, if you're applying with a resume, and it's immediately getting rejected, that means you have a resume writing challenge. Your resume isn't aligning to the job; it's automatically getting kicked out before you even get there. It, it's not making it through. That's a resume writing challenge. If you are getting an interview, that means your resume is aligning to the jobs. So you're applying, um, you're getting interviews and you're not making it on the other side of the interview, that's likely an interviewing strategies problem. So I don't know which one, where you're fitting in, um, what the challenge is, but it, it's likely, it could be either or. So if it's just the resume and it keeps getting kicked back, that means that likely resume isn't aligning. Um, if it's the interview, they do invite you in and you go in and somehow like every single time you're not the right fit, then there's some kind of interviewing strategies kind of um, challenge there. So I would recommend as we always do is to continue on in the social media, building the relationships, talking to people like Matt online, talking to people like Chris online, talking to people like me online and all the folks in the chat. So like, for example, LaQuay, you know, maybe she has an opportunity, you can connect with her and maybe, maybe not, you know, like it, unfortunately job hunting is a hunt. Um, and it's really not easy. Unfortunately, it just isn't. And you must try different things, but the networking, we've learned that the social media presence and networking is really one of the areas where you can break away from just applying to applicant to, you know, applying to jobs and getting rejected, um, if that's the big, if that's the issue. So. I would also say just the persistence and I, I feel what you're going through. Cause when I got out of graduate school, I submitted hundreds of resumes back when you would put them in envelopes and mail them to companies. So it gives you an idea of the age here uh, <laughs> and it got rejected just like you would not believe. And it really, really weighed on me. And I remember speaking with a gentleman who was, who was fairly seasoned, in his career, he was effectively set to retire. And he looked at me and I, and I explained, I go, you know, I've done everything right. I've done my master's degree. I've, I've done all this stuff. You know, why isn't this happening? And he looked at me and he goes, well, you don't have skills people need. And that was actionable. So depending on what types of skills are being required, adjust the resume, adjust how it's being positioned to highlight those particular skills. And I think to Renee's point, one of the things that I'm absolutely blessed with is our community. Our, our cybersecurity community, generally speaking, 
always wants to help out. We're all inordinately busy, but to Renee's point, reach out to people and it's going to end up being a job based on a relationship. You know somebody that works at a company and they need to get in. And, and what I would offer is just fundamentally, once you're in the door, once you're on kind of the other side with this stuff, this is such a golden profession. Um, there are so many different areas where we can uh, leverage our talents to the librarian's point earlier. Once she's in that uh, OSINT world, that's just going to expand dramatically in all the different areas that you can do. But reach out directly. And if I can help, I'd be happy to help out. So Fortune, you have a whole bunch of people in the chat. So first of all, I just looked at your profile and I saw that you have a top secret clearance. What? Oh, so LaQuay yep. says, <laughs> LaQuay uh, says, reach out to her directly. She put her Gmail, she put her, her email in the chat. So there you go. You know, yep. there's so many folks that are also, Matt obviously said reach out to him. Um Laquay, again, here's her direct email. She's happy to assist. She's looking for people. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that clearance, exactly. This if is she's it. at the door, you know. <laughs> literally, literally. There are a couple other people has this uh, professor, uh, Roger White. He has the security clearance, so he's definitely a unicorn. Exactly. Yep. You have a top secret clearance. Are you kidding me? Um, let's see. There were some other folks. Paul said, well, fortune not meeting an interview portion has me wondering if you are tailoring your resume to those roles or just blindly using the same resume over and over. So I guess fortune said that he, oh, I didn't see a response back from fortune. Is he saying that he, um, that the issue is that he's getting the rejections? Um, he did not respond and say that. So, um, oh, he said, oh, I'm sorry. I did read it wrong. He said he's not he's doing everything right, but not giving a chance to interview. So that means that it's a resume problem. Yeah. So it's probably something that's on the resume that's not aligning to the jobs that you're applying to. So you kind of want to massage the resume, but with a top secret clearance, um, you know, there's a ton of folks here that definitely want you in their circle. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> You know, I'm not working on anything top clearance. I'm going to connect with you right now. <laughs> I want you in my circle, too. <laughs> so so I think just being in this network, like Matt said, should get you um, at least some some conversations going. Um, and that will help, too, because it is depressing to, like, literally just be putting resume after resume after resume out there and getting 108 rejections. And some of these, I was talking to my buddy the other day who applied to a role that I specifically told him about. It was a friend of a friend. I said, look, this person's looking for someone. You should apply. He applied and got like an immediate rejection. It was immediate. And he said to me, well, I guess they don't want me. I'm like, what do you mean? Like I told the person that you would be a good fit. So I'm confused. I said, it's probably just the applicant tracking system kicking something in your resume isn't aligning. So they immediately kicked you out. He had put a, a compensation range that was outside of the range of what they were looking to hire. So that applicant tracking system was configured, which is very, very dumb, but it was configured to kick people out if they were like exceeded the salary range. And even though the manager knew, because the manager was my friend, it was two friends that I was putting together, 
he put his resume in and it got kicked out until the manager said, wait a minute, you know, went back to HR or whoever and said, you know, push this person's resume through because I know that this, you know, this person's the right fit and they, they, um, and they, the salary range actually would match. But that just goes to show you how difficult it is sometimes with these applicant tracking systems. And I get it being in HR and being a recruiter, like you need them, but unfortunately you have to work around them. Um, to get yourself in the door. So fortunate, quite a few people here. Ashok says submit through a referral. So you'll at least get a pick, which I know yep. that's a big thing too. If somebody, you have your name attached to somebody else's name, they will look at you when you're a referral. Um, LaCoy also says five organizations that are willing to sponsor you for a clearance. Well, not for this person, but for other people um, because he fortune already has the, the clearance. Um, Professor Roger White is going to connect with Fortune. Dave uh, Michi says, Fortune, I would highly recommend reaching out to as many folks as possible at the company you want to work at. Afterwards, ask folks for a 15-minute coffee chat to talk about their roles and their day-to-day. That's great advice. Um, Can I pause on that one, Renee? Yes. Earlier this morning, I used to re- I used to be a research director and analyst at Gartner, and I covered uh, security, incident response, things of that nature. A gentleman reached out to me this morning in LinkedIn that he's applying for a job at Gartner and just wanted to ask a handful of questions of what it was like. So we had a quick sidebar discussion. I gave him my insights, the things that I really loved and enjoyed about working in Gartner some of the areas that, that he might want to touch upon in terms of his particular role. He goes into that next set of interviews with broader context, better informed about what that looks like. And I think that's something your advice, Renee, is absolutely spot on. And some of the other folks in, in the chat there, widen the circle of concern, speak to a lot of folks there. As a CISO, I wouldn't rely upon my HR department to bring me qualified candidates. I give them some parameters, but ultimately I'm going to make the decision on who I want to interview, who I'm going to hire. Right. Absolutely. And Laquette, I think it's pronounced Laquette. <laughs> so I hope <laughs> I hope I'm getting it right. Um, who also said GDIT is known to support clearance sponsorship opportunities. So general dynamics, information technology, I believe those are the that's what it stands for. Um, general dynamics IT are known to support clearance sponsorship. So if you're looking to get into somewhere where you can, you, someone can sponsor a clearance for you, this is the kind of place. And I know they always have openings. Um, Jess was giving Jacqueline some advice. David Bumball just did a video on OSINT. He interviewed three people in OSINT community. They gave some fantastic resources in that stream. So Jacqueline, more advice um, in regards to the OSINT stuff. Uh, let's see. Fortune is back. Okay. His, his computer froze, was frozen. He's back. Okay. Awesome. He's going to reach out to everyone. Fortune, good luck. Keep us posted. There's so many people that have come through this podcast who literally have taken our advice and done some of the things and they are, you know, they've been able to get their opportunities. So it's great. Okay. LaQuette, I pronounced it correctly. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and this is another LinkedIn user who I don't know the name. Brandon Weaver. Who? Brandon Weaver. Brandon. Brandon Weaver? Yes. Okay. He says, if anyone's interested in a post-breach recovery, I'm a gatekeeper melting type. Oh, see? <laughs> Tons Woo-hoo. of people here looking for work. Um, 
Okay, so we had another comment that I think I missed. If not, I have a, a question for Matt. Quick, quick comment here, and then you could jump in with your question. Um, well, Paul had said, okay, let me, let me go to this one. This one is no buo jash, dash. He says, while at HD having a security mindset, it's crucial. You're on the front lines. And in one instance, I discovered an anomaly in user account slash creation ended up being a serious exploitation that ex uh, escalated back to our vendor. Having mm -hmm. a security team open to listening to such discoveries also helped. Yep. So. yep. And HD has helped us for those that don't know their shortening. <laughs> help desk. Yeah. Okay, cool. You want to go ahead with your question? Yeah. So, Matt, uh, as you as you did the 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 primer for the business, um, what are you seeing that up up, up top um, boards um, C suite? What are they looking for in their next generation of talent to be able to to deliver on what you're trying to achieve? Yeah, I think there's a, a couple of things. So first and foremost, at the board level, um, organizations like Bob Zukas's Digital Directors Network is really trying to advocate and push to have more kind of digitally conversant, cyber aware members of the board of directors. Back when we had the issues with Sarbanes-Oxley and all that kind of corporate governance um, malfeasance that occurred with Enron and, and everything, there was, we need independent audit expertise on the board. Now it's very clear that most organizations that are publicly traded need to ramp up. They need to have some cyber uh, experience and oversight on the board of directors. And that's something that is, is going on. I think as you, as you look at it, one of the most critical things, and Gary Hayslip did this exceptionally well when he was with the uh, city of San Diego's Air CISO. He would just kind of do the proverbial walkabout. It's literally going out and getting to know the business. The same holds true for a privacy officer. Um, it's imperative that you know how does the organization drive enterprise value? What are those business processes and applications that are most integral or supportive to the organization? And then doing just basic dependency analysis. Are there technologies that the organization relies upon? Are there third-party vendors or suppliers? Are there specific in your world skills and competencies that are necessary? I mean, we've got, I love having all the recruiters on here because they're desperate to find good, high-quality talent. You know, an organization can't run without people with the right skills and the right competencies and the right numbers and the right roles doing that meaningful work. So I think one of the things that is imperative for any of us in this profession is just come in with an enormous amount of curiosity. How does this business work? You know, who do we serve? What markets are we in? What geographic locations do we operate in? And what's kind of the proverbial context related to all of that? I think all of those things allow us to have what I would classify as these pivot points within our career. The more we know about our industry, the more we know about our company, the more, the more we know about a particular domain or a set of domains, you're in a position to really kind of take control over your career and make informed decisions about what you want to do next. Um, I, I, I love the, the boards are getting or looking for more digitally savvy individuals because that's important. And that also sh 
then shows the pivot that individuals need to be able to communicate to the board and yep. being being able to do that communication is key as well. Exactly. And that communication has to be board centric. If we come in with detailed technical detail, we will lose the board within the first few moments. It's our job as CISOs. It's our job as security practitioners to effectively translate digital and cyber risk into enterprise risk. What are the risks to the organization's finances? What are the risks to the organization's reputation, to its operations, to uh, its ability to comply with contractual obligations, regulatory requirements, et cetera? And so I think what is critical is that all of us in our professions also become somewhat well-versed on basic enterprise risk management. If we can take something that is very technical and detailed in nature and translate it to the board of directors, by the way, if this were to happen, our organization's reputation in our stock price or our enterprise value is going to be impacted, that will have the board's attention. If you come in and say, yeah, we're, you know, we're subject to 25,000 external scans against our public facing interfaces every day, the board will just turn you out. <laughs> okay, perfect. So next comment. Love the info and perspectives. Hard skills are important, but love the aspect of networking, connecting, and having these informational interviews to gain that context Matt mentioned. And love the collaboration and see you all here. Appreciate your time to share your insights. Plus, what we are really, truly blessed to be in this community. If, if you think about it, you know, I, I haven't seen other professions that are as open-armed. And, and maybe it's just been my experiences, but I've, I've been really, really fortunate in my career to have friends and colleagues and peers to be able to share ideas with and, and learn from. And I think it's it's going in with an openness to, to try to help folks. Like, for example, I'm involved with ISACA here in San Diego. In our particular chapter, we sponsor student memberships. We recognize we have an obligation to bring in that next generation of risk professionals, cyber professionals, audit and governance professionals. And I think the more that we do to mentor and collaborate and, and share best practices ultimately makes our organizations more resilient, more secure. Yeah, absolutely. I would agree with you, Matt, especially in terms of, you know, what you said just now in terms of you being a part of ISACA. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, Chris and I and whoever typically come on here, we tell people all the time when you join an org like that, get involved, um, you know, hopefully you're not just joining and sitting on the sidelines. If you're looking for an opportunity, get involved, volunteer. Somebody like Matt, who's a leader in an org, will say, oh, this person seems like a really good fit for, you know, something I have, something my peer has, something like that. So that's the, that's the networking component. Like we're not talking about network business card in hand and, you know, this is what I need. This is what I want type of situation. This is truly building relationships and being part of the community. And Matt, I, I agree with you in terms of security. It's nothing like I've seen. I mean, I've been, in, I've been recruiting technology professionals for 20 years and no other group operates like this. I've never seen it. And I, and I recruited other things too. I mean, outside of, outside of technology, the vast majority of the 20 years has been in technology space in the last 10 or so has been security. But prior to that, I did HR, finance, mm -hmm. you know, all types of different folks and nothing compares to this type of community 
in my, you know, over the years that I've seen where folks are just willing to jump in, help other people, bring other people in. Um, and I think part of it is because we have such a need for the talent. And so we want to, and and we know it's a depending, especially depending on some of these roles, it could be like a really not lonely, but it's a, it's an, it's an industry where, you know, when you get it, you, you get it. <laughs> Cause I didn't get it coming in. I was on the outside looking at it like, why did it, what's going on with these folks? But then when you're in you're like, oh, this is why everybody's stressed out. Or this is why people are leaving. Or, this is why, you know, all of that. So, you know, folks that may be on another side of that. So database admins or something, I don't know. I'm picking a skill set, may not fully understand, like, this is what's happening in the SOC. This is what's happening. This is the incident response. Like, this is this is what's going on right now. You know, this is what's happening in risk management or whatever. Um, so it definitely is the type of type of community and type of industry that I have not experienced. And I've recruited, I haven't recruited everything. I haven't done medical field or whatever, but a lot of those corporate roles I've recruited over the years and nothing has compared to this type of community in my humble opinion. Exactly. Exactly. One, one other thing of guidance I would offer is, is when you're reaching out to other members in the community and that other member doesn't respond they're not not responding. They could be just literally saturated. All of us are in information overload. So I get literally hundreds um, of messages in a day. I mean, more than I can ever you know, go through and triage and everything like that. And ultimately what ends up happening is, is that those individuals or those issues that are the most persistent end up getting attention. So I think one of the things is is don't look at it. I sent a message to Jane or John Doe and they never replied back that they're not interested or I'm not qualified or whatever it might be. All of us are in information overload. So being um, professionally persistent, uh, you don't want to be a PETA, but being professionally persistent and assertive, I think is really, really important. And generally speaking, that individual will get back to you at some point. So don't abandon the process too early. <laughs> I, I think the other thing is uh, bring value to that individual. Just yeah. just don't be one that takes, but also share value. So if you reached out to them and they didn't respond the first time, if you saw an interesting article that relates to them, share that with them or, or comment on one of their posts, things like that will get get reactions and get them to potentially interact with you. And I would double down on what you said, Chris, in terms of the commenting in the posts, because I'm in this content um, group that I joined recently. And one person was saying how they've been getting, uh, how they've been really connecting with people is commenting in the posts. Like sometimes it's not about like all this DMing back and forth. It's the person makes a post or makes, you know, has it because think about it as having a conversation. So they they said something. You respond, other people respond, you jump right in. I mean, that's how I met Chris. That's how I met Paul Cummings. That's how I met uh, Dave Michi. Like all of these people that are here, this is what folks do. Jump in, make comments on posts. Then you want to see what they're saying on their posts and back and forth. And the next thing you know, you have this little family and you just like with these people, you know, who I didn't know what Chris, <laughs> like, I didn't know anyway. We didn't know each other. Um, so this definitely the way to go in terms of um, giving and being a part of the conversation 
and your you everyone has their perspective. So you may not think that you have a lot to say, but you have your perspective and your take on things. So um, Jacqueline says she applied to a government agency, got a call, interview, completed an online test. Uh, I don't know if you have the top secret clearance or the vol needs a top secret clearance. Um, it's two months later, no contact. I heard that government orgs are very slow in hiring. Any thoughts? Yes. I would say yes. Uh, government <laughs> agencies are very slow. And be, be careful. If Is it a government contractor or is it the government agency that that you're working with? And it, it could be that they, uh, they have <laughs> a, a contractor doing the work. But yes, government does work typically slow. Yes. Matt, anything to add to this one? No, just persistence. I mean, it's it's one of those things. I mean, you, you can't change the pace of an organization. So there, there's companies that hire very quickly. There's other companies that do a ton of due diligence. I know when I was interviewed at Gartner, I had seven or eight interviews um, over a, a, actually a fairly accelerated time. But it was it was a very lengthy process. And eventually it happens. So yeah. persistence yeah. always pays. That's way too many interviews. Yes. Way too many. Way and too they still many. hired me. <laughs> Way too many. But uh, yes, in terms of the, the government, it's just a slower process. You should yeah. connect with the folks that, um, so Jacqueline, we also do a podcast the last Wednesdays of the month with Federal Career Connections. So check them out. Google them, federalcareerconnection.org. I think it's FCCinc.org or FCC.org. And what they do is they teach um, folks how to get in, get federal government opportunities. So uh, they're the experts in that space. You want to definitely want to connect and follow up with that with them. Um, and we do a collaborative co podcast with them the last Wednesday of the month. So the next, I think, upcoming one is May twenty seventh or something like that. And it's in the evening at like seven p.m. Eastern. Um. Dave Michi says that he is connecting with LaQuette, Matt Stamper, and Fortune. He sent you all connection requests. He wants to grow his professional network with each one of you. And David is amazing. So everybody there is lucky. We'll definitely be connected. Perfect. Good afternoon. Eddie is uh, chiming in from Dallas, Texas. Hey, Eddie, what's happening in Dallas? Uh, LaQuette says, thank you all and appreciate the platform to share general dynamics, information, technology opportunities. Wish everyone a wonderful day. LaQuette, we probably need to go over to GDIT and get some money. Out <laughs> 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 we just gave you some free, free recruiting. Uh, Paul says, as cyber looters, we want to hire. We want to retire. Paul says, he, we, we want to retire. I agree, Paul. I want to retire right now. Having an open community like we do allows us to prime our successors. Absolutely. And that, as a leader, your success is rated in how many leaders you can create below you and the impact that they can have. So uh, definitely true. We all want to retire. <laughs> For sure. So uh, this person says, what do you all consider are the must-have skills for someone seeking to enter the cybersecurity, to enter a cybersecurity career? Matt, you yeah, I, You know, one of the things I, a lot of us get into cyber from a variety of different paths. Mine came in through the managed services space. So IT service management 
uh, think about everything ISO 20,000 ITIL. That was a good foundational body of knowledge for me. So thinking about configuration management, capacity management, uh, change management, all of those disciplines um, ended up being very important. And then understanding how the proverbial layers work together. I always like to be able to map it from a business process to an application to the underlying infrastructure. So knowing those stacks. So what does the application and database reside on? Which OS? Is it using you know, virtualization or microservices? What types of networks are connected? How are those networks administered? All the way down into um, you know, the physical infrastructure. I'm fortunate that I came from kind of a uh, a data center managed services space. So I learned a variety of different technology stacks, cloud, traditional infrastructure, co-location and the like. Um, and then you put on your CISO and your security hat. Um, I love Stride as a, as, a, as a moniker doing threat modeling. So you start asking questions. How do I uh, undermine this infrastructure? If I wanted to attack it, what would I need to have in place to be able to do that successfully? And I think that ends up being a, a really good, solid business uh, and solid security and solid IT infrastructure and operations body of knowledge that will help you in that career. Um, ITIL to me is, is foundational. It, it gets overlooked a lot of times because it is very simple. Once you're in it, it's like an accountant. You know, what's a liability versus an asset versus income and expenses? You know, it's very commonsensical. But a lot of us don't really have that basic foundational knowledge base. So I think that's an important area to, to go into. The, the last thing I would do is, is really, really spend the time to read the frameworks and the standards. Um, anytime I get into something, like if I'm going to get involved with things like on the CMMC, I go to 800-171 and I read it. If I'm reading the GDP, you know, if I'm dealing with privacy and privacy regulations, I'll read the GDPR or 853 or any of the other standards that are out there. I think spending the time and in, in investing uh, the hours to go through and truly understand that requisite body of knowledge is, is very, very important in my view. Yeah, I, I would definitely say, say yes. I started in the help desk area, so ITIL is very important. It, I, if if you can't implement it at full, at least try to implement partial aspects of it. Because yeah. when you think of asset management, change management, all the management practices, even used within security, you're, you're very critical services. Exactly. I mean, think about how many breaches, Chris, are a result of a poor configuration because an organization doesn't do good configuration management well or understand the configuration items that are part of a particular uh, stack and understanding that correctly in terms of where there might be vulnerabilities. So these are these are just kind of foundational things. If if all of us were doctors, we would understand the human body. We would understand the chemistry and biology of the human body. And if we were specialists like cardiologists, we understand the heart in the context of the human body. For those of us working in cyber, Fundamentally, what we're trying to protect are infrastructure and operations, and most importantly, kind of the data and the processes and systems and applications that support it. That requisite body of knowledge, no pun intended, is something we need to make sure we have. Absolutely. 
Great piece of advice there, folks. The last thing on it, must have skills. It's more of almost like an attitudinal thing is just an intense curiosity. How in the hell does this thing work? You know, what what's required to, to take it down? What's required to secure it? Really, really kind of think about things from a variety of different perspectives. The last thing I would say is read extensively, not just in cybersecurity, but in, in similar domains, risk management, governance, audit, corporate uh, enterprise risk management, really kind of widen that understanding of areas that you read upon. I think that makes individuals um, certainly more successful long-term in their career and more valuable in their current jobs. Yes, I would agree with that too. Um, okay, more comments. <laughs> Matt and Paul, the insom insomnia keeps them highly active. Funny, <laughs> hilarious. Chris says, nothing compares to you. <laughs> and Professor Roger White said, Chris, isn't that a song? Yes, it is. When I said nothing compares to our community. <laughs> um, Leslie Porter says, when I talk to people interested in getting into cybersecurity, I always tell them to remember to sell themselves and not allow some experience that may be lacking to stop them from convincing potential employers that they are capable of learning. That is how I came into the IT field. I started out as a contractor and basically asked my company to create a systems admin position. The rest is history. Love it. Love, love that, that, Leslie Porter. So, so, so very true. Um, okay, we're going to zoom through quickly because I know um, Matt has a hard stop. Uh, let's see, Jacqueline. She's talking about, oh, the job giving her top secret clearance. So similar. So, yes, it will take a while because getting that top secret clearance is a whole process in and of itself. David Peach says, following on from points made about networking tactics beyond being persistent and consistent and bringing value, the other essential is to be clear and specific about what your goal is and how the other person can help you. Yes, Love that. that is that so is great true. Yep. So, so true. Because people are like, can you help? It's like, help you do what? <laughs> you know, <laughs> you want me to make a connection? That's easy. You want me to do your resume? That's not going to work. You know, like, what do you, what do you, what do you need? Um, for any military vets out there, check out veteranssec.org. They provide a myriad of resources to members, immersive labs, cyber nights, center for cybersecurity training, hack the box, Splunk, all these various resources. So awesome. Great then advice. we have other things here, clearjobs.net and everything else. Um, but Matt, I know you got to run. So quickly, Chris, you want to give him your final sure. question? What, if you had to summarize everything into one piece of sage advice, what would that be, Matt? Read extensively. I, I think as much as you can do to learn about your industry in related fields is really, really critical and read expansively. So I think it's, it's really important that we are effectively kind of students, if you will, of our profession. We, these things don't just happen be structured, be very thoughtful about what you don't know that you need to know, what is it that you haven't been exposed to that you would like to be exposed to, and take those concrete action steps to get that knowledge. Awesome. Uh, thank you so much. 
And so for everyone following us on LinkedIn, uh, follow myself, follow Renee, follow Matt. Uh, for those of you on YouTube, hit that subscribe button and that notification button. And for those of you on podcasts, share it with all your friends and family. Give us a 10-star rating where possible. And thank you all for joining us today. This thank was a blast. Everyone. Thank you guys very much. so much fun. Thank you, Matt. You folks take care. Bye-bye. All right. You too. Bye, everybody. See y'all next week. Thursday, 1 p.m. Eastern.